Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. There's a lot at stake in Denver's municipal election on April 4th. For the first time in 12 years, Denver will have a new mayor and there will be a minimum of five new city council members. Real estate shareholders Blair Lichtenfels and Zach Siegel come together to get us up to date on the election, the inevitable runoff, and the impact we're seeing from the fair election fund that was passed by Denver voters in 2018. Hi, Blair. Hi, Zach. Thank you for uh, agreeing to take a shot at this with me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Both of our very first podcasts. Um, I'm Zach Siegel. Uh, I'm a real estate attorney at Brownstein here in Denver. Blair, you want to introduce yourself? Blair Lichtenfels. I'm a shareholder in the real estate group, also based in our Denver office. And Blair, I talked you into this because I thought that you and I were having a lot of interesting conversations about our city and about real estate and development in and around town. And I said, maybe we should sit down and record one of them. Um, I think that you and I are interestingly situated at a firm where we get to see development in the real estate world, but also how it intersects with politics and business in our community. And we have a lot of interesting conversations around the like proverbial water cooler. Um, if I wish I could come up with a better metaphor for that. But a lot of really interesting conversations about how those things intersect and in the city that we care about. They're also the things that we often are talking to our clients about before we dive into the nitty gritty of whatever it is, whatever legal issue we're working through with them. But I said, why don't we sit down and record one of these and talk about something that's of interest to us? Yep. And one of the things that we've been so busy obviously doing as a real estate group and as individual practitioners is focusing on our upcoming municipal election in the city of Denver. Um, So I'm sure as everyone knows, if you've watched the news or um, looked at a newspaper, we have our um, election day on April 4th of 2023 and a runoff plan for June 6th of 2023. And lots of conversation. It, It seems like everywhere I go, whether it's professional or personal, people are asking me about this municipal election, particularly the mayor's race with a really crowded field, and all of our clients are talking about it, and of course, we talk about it, it feels like, quite a bit in the office. Yeah, it, we, we're talking about it constantly. Obviously, the like Blair said, dominated by the mayor's race, but also a number of really important city council races, too. I thought it might be nice to just kind of set the stage a little bit. Like, let's talk about where we're at in the process. What are the upcoming dates? You mentioned a couple, the, you know, election date and then this runoff. And let's talk about just pragmatically, like, why are we having a runoff? What's this about? Um, and maybe dive a little deeper into some of the why for what's changing this election cycle that's different than prior election cycles. So, Blair, will you set the stage for us just a little bit? I got my ballot in the mail last week. Um, It's still sitting on my kitchen counter. I'm going to open it and dive into it. But what do I need to know about what to do next? So... Denver has a municipal election every four years, and in that municipal election, we vote for a mayor, we vote for the city auditor, the clerk and recorder, and all 13 district council seats. So it's a big election. It's not like these things are staggered. We get to focus on it every four years. One of the things that's interesting about Denver, and and fairly typical, I think, in municipal elections, is that we will also have a runoff. So the main election is on April 4th of 2023. All Denver residents should have a ballot. Please vote. It's really important. And you are going to be have the opportunity to vote for mayor, auditor, clerk and recorder, and 13 district council seats are up for election. You will only vote for at-large, which there are two at-large seats. They represent the entire city and county of Denver, and then the district council member for your particular district. 
This race is really interesting because, of course, we have 17 candidates on the ballot right now for mayor, which is a significantly high number. Also, interestingly enough, though, our city council races are, um, there's a lot of interesting things going on there because of term limits for our two existing at-large council members, as well as uh, Councilman Chris Herndon, and then several non-term limited candidates who elected not to run again. In particular, I'm thinking of District 4 and District 7. There will be a minimum of five new city council members, potentially more, if any of the existing incumbents are sort of upset. And most of the incumbents are facing challengers with, I believe, the exception of uh, Council President Jamie Torres in District 3. I think one of the things that we'll definitely be talking about a lot is the impact of the Fair Election Fund, which is new for this particular municipal election. But I think the final thing to talk about is the runoff, because not everyone understands how the runoff works. So in particular, unless a particular candidate, and these include mayor, auditor, clerk, and recorder, or a district, but not the at-large council members, unless one of those candidates get 50% of the vote, of the number of voters who actually submit a ballot, then they all go to a runoff. So it's important to remember your at-large council seats are not going to go to a runoff. And the two highest vote getters in that particular, those in particular elections, yeah. exactly, they will, they will end up. So that's the one thing we will definitely have an answer for after the April 4th election. The other ones just depend on how the voting turns out. Yeah. So practically speaking, and we can talk about it in the context of the mayor's race, because it's pretty easy to see with 17 candidates appearing on the ballot, it's very, very unlikely. We would go so far as to say probably impossible that any one candidate is getting 50% of the vote on election day. So we're trending toward a runoff. And I think that's how we're con- contextualizing the entire race. We're not thinking about the race as a one-step process where it's going to be over on election day. We're thinking about it both in terms of how the candidates are strategizing and also the issues that we're talking about as something that's going, they're trying to get over an initial threshold. The question is, we don't exactly know what percentage of the vote or how many votes that will take to get over the initial threshold into the runoff where it's one against one and we can see two candidates that will get much higher percentages of the votes by virtue of the fact that there are far fewer of them Mm -hmm. at that stage in the race. So Blair, I think that was super helpful to see the whole picture. Can you talk to me a little bit about the Fair Election Fund and whether we think that's one of the driving forces for why we wound up in a, a mayoral field with 17 candidates and far more city council candidates than we've seen in prior elections? Yeah, sure. So the Fair Election Fund is is new. It was passed by the Denver voters in 2018. You all may remember it as Measure 2E. It actually passed with 70% um, voter support, which I think is really interesting. The stated intent, it was intended to sort of limit the influence of large campaign donors and to empower people who were giving smaller dollar amounts, individuals who were going to contribute less and to let those dollars sort of go farther. A conversation we have on the national level all the time with big money in politics and hearing about super packs and all sorts of like outsized voices that have a lot of control over the TV ads and the targeted advertisements that we see during national election cycles. Denver is a city that tried to, you know, to take a different course of action. 
inject some public funds into campaign finance and have that change the dynamics of the race. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that with the Fair Election Fund. And Blair, you can tell me a little bit more about how matching dollars work. Sure. So first of all, the candidates don't have to participate in the Fair Election Fund. They, They get the opportunity to opt in. If they choose to opt out, the individual donor amounts that they can take actually are higher. But interestingly enough, not as high as they previously were before the Fair Election Fund was passed. And so certain um, council members have opted in, certain ones have opted out. I would say by and large, and this is a generalization, most people have opted to take um, advantage of these matching funds. So there are up to $8 million um, that the city has committed from the general fund to be transferred to these candidates. Now, the candidates have to hit certain thresholds in order to receive the funds. And effectively, they have to qualify first. So the mayor needed 250 qualifying contributions of a certain sort of limited amount in order to be eligible for the Fair Election Fund. And so once they hit that threshold, every time you donate, and and it's important to note, the matching funds really only apply to to Denver residents. Mm -hmm. So it's only if a Denver resident gives money do you get to take advantage of that um, Fair Election Fund matching. But it ends up matching it not well, I'm not nine to one. I think Thank is you. the amount that that it matches. This yeah. is why I'm a lawyer, not yeah. good at math. <laughs> <laughs> it takes two lawyers to do the math on this stuff. That's right. we, Blair and I were checking our work. That's right. But it matches. I think it matches uh, donations of fifty dollars or less at a ratio of nine to one for the candidates that agree to the the fair election fund restrictions. And Blair, you and I were talking right before we started recording today. These are meaningful dollars. Like this changes the dynamics of the race, injecting really significant money into campaigns that are otherwise relatively small, like a city council campaign, and you can make a good amount of money and put on a pretty viable campaign when you maybe otherwise wouldn't have because you didn't have the financial backing of the municipality in the past. Right. So I did try to do some math earlier, TBD on how it works out, but effectively, if you were running for city council... And prior to the deadline under the Fair Election Fund, you were able to secure $105 donations from Denver residents. That's $500, right? You were then qualified for $125,000 from the Fair Election Fund. That's a meaningful jump and really can allow people who, you know, maybe otherwise didn't have great fundraising experience to actually really be in the game and have the ability to get out and talk to voters. Yeah, I think I think viability is like really the key word here and something that Blair and I are talking to so many clients about, and we alluded to this at the very top of our conversation, is there are just more people in this race for city council and for the and for the mayor seat than we've seen in the past. And we think that's in part because you're able to be more viable when you have access to these public dollars. And that's allowing more people to get into the race, but it's also changing the dynamics of the race itself, which is something that Blair and I are constantly talking to our clients about as 17 different people, a number of whom are very similarly situated ideologically, struggle to present a unique voice in the mayor's race, which has been a really interesting thing to watch. 
Um, Blair, something that I did last week was spend some time with the most recent Nine News mayoral debate. There are actually only 11 candidates on stage for the most recent debate because of the restrictions that Nine News put in place for how candidates were polling. But wow, in two hours, it is pretty difficult to separate candidates on their positions because there are so many voices on stage and because we're really only talking about a pretty discrete set of issues. Is that how you've seen and appreciated the race so far? Definitely. I think what's interesting about some of the forums we've seen and, and the debates is that we're getting breath, meaning that we have you know anywhere from 11 to 17 candidates, give or take, speaking about issues in a limited amount of time. So it's hard to get any significant depth. And I think really, if you want to get more in depth with the candidates, you have to pull up the website, you have to read about um, their platforms and their positions and their policies, or you have to find a way to get involved in a more intimate, smaller number of people, meet and greet, etc. But it's hard to really sort of get all of them you know, on stage at one period of time and really get in deep about how they feel about these particular issues. Yeah. And, and we don't necessarily need to like bury the lead here. We're, we're talking about a small set of issues, primarily homelessness, right? That's most certainly the issue that's dominating this race. It comes up in a few different contexts. The camping ban is, I think, the one that we hear about the most, but that's the topic of conversation. And one of the things that I've noticed is it seems like we're kind of using this discrete issue as a proxy for understanding these candidates. One of these candidates is going to be the next mayor of Denver. And they're going to deal with a wide range of issues on a day-to-day, running a really complex municipality, a city that is growing and changing in so many meaningful ways. But the way our electorate is tasked with picking who that person will be right now kind of comes down to where they stand on this issue because that's the issue that's dominating the discourse. And it's, it's been fascinating to watch, but I wonder, first, do you agree with that assessment of the situation? And second, do we think that the Fair Election Fund is kind of behind this and driving us down this path of having a vast number of candidates and uh, debates that are, are, are almost one issue specific? I think you're 100% right. I think that the the debates largely stem from people trying to talk about um, the unhoused. And then going into that, there's a public safety component. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a general housing affordability component. Mm-hmm. And they all sort of flow together and they all work together. One of the things that I'm, I'm often trying to ask candidates about is... Um, frankly, like private investment in the city and, and their viewpoints on that. And, and I actually think that um, particularly as it relates to our downtown, some of those things flow together. But I, I do agree with you, Zach, that because you're often talking to so many candidates at once, they sort of stick to these three main talking points. I also think I've asked a number of candidates in different meet and greets when they go and knock on doors or they're actually talking to their constituents, are the constituents bringing up anything else? And they, by and large, have said generally no. They generally say that people are still just talking to them about public safety, affordability, and the unhoused. And what's also interesting, I think, is that this may also be a little bit of a hangover from COVID and the pandemic, right? Sort of issues that we as a society are um, experiencing on a macro level way bigger than the city and county of Denver. But at the end of the day, I think that people are responding to what they're hearing on the street, but we're just not, we just don't have enough time necessarily to get to know all 17 candidates to really sort of differentiate what we think. And what I think this is going to be super interesting is how it plays into the mayoral runoff. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was exactly the question that I was about to ask you next. It's really interesting because if you tried your best to ideologically separate the candidates onto some sort of political spectrum, first of all, it'd be really hard to do and you'd have to do a bunch of your own research because mm-hmm. to your point, you got to do a lot of your own digging to get more depth from these candidates. But even if you did that, we don't know whether we're going to end up with two candidates that are vastly ideologically separate on that spectrum in the runoff, two candidates that are really close, or some sort of interesting combination between the two. We also don't really know how the candidates are going to pull votes from one another. You know, there are, uh, I, I don't necessarily know on, on this, our first podcast, whether we want to get into like who's exactly ideologically cl- real close to one another, but I think we, we know that there are some candidates that are pulling from the same support base. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing before the runoff. And then once the runoff happens, whether a broad base of support that you've built now for your discrete set of issues is good or whether that'll limit the support you'll be able to get when we have the runoff. I think it's really going to be almost impossible to say unless there's some sort of predictive polling out there that that you and I are not aware of at this (laughs) point in time, which is entirely possible. But the thing that I'm finding interesting about this is that in 2019, in the general there were approximately 186,000 voters. So just, I would like everyone who's listening, whoever's listening, <laughs> to keep in mind how many people actually live in Denver, the eligible voters versus actual voters. It's kind of a scary number. But out of um, the 186,000 ballots in the general for mayor, Mayor Hancock received 39% of the vote and Jamie Gillis received 25%. They went to a runoff, about 165,000 people voted in that election several weeks later, and Mayor Hancock won with 56% of the vote. Okay, so let's take that 186,000, let's let's assume we're going to get the same level of turnout. And I have heard certain people say that they think that we may actually get higher turnout because of the Fair Election Fund and the deeper engagement at lower um, levels. So that will be very interesting to see, I think, to Monday morning quarterback that piece of it. But okay, so Let's divide 17 by 186,000. Zach, can you help? <laughs> 17 by 186,000. I think it's like 11,000 to yeah. 13,000 votes. Right. So- Blair definitely didn't prime <laughs> me with those figures earlier so that I would be ready to say that. So at the end of the day, all of a sudden, it's possible, not, not for sure, but it is possible that you could have in the runoff people that have only received you know, somewhere between... 30 and 60,000 of the total 186,000 votes. So then you have a whole nother populace that needs to be educated, swayed, et cetera. And it will be interesting to see if we are still talking about the same three major things or if the candidates diversify in an effort to sort of aggregate. And I think you were talking before about what I think of as cannibalization effectively, Mm -hmm. right? So if you have a group of candidates that whose positions are distinct, but maybe only a little bit, are they sort of cannibalizing from one another and, and it'll be interesting to see. And so does that end up reducing how many votes they get, whereas people who are drastically different end up getting a, a majority of a different segment of the population? And potentially pushing mm-hmm. a candidate that we didn't otherwise see as uh, credible right now mm-hmm. into the runoff and that changing the dynamics of the runoff down the road. Everything's up in the air right now. And what's really interesting is that we just don't have precedent for this type of election in Denver. 
And uh, like we're talking about, it's going to impact the city council races too. But we are—it's all Monday morning quarterback. Mm-hmm. The lessons from this campaign, because we just we just don't know what to expect right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we're going to learn a lot mm-hmm. over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I think we would be remiss not to mention, although this really isn't sort of where we wanted to you know, get down and dirty sort of, there are other funding sources available to candidates via PACs and small donor committees. And there are certain rules around those and those particular entities can be raising money. But I also think what's interesting about, again, the number of candidates with the pool of, you know, likely voters, it could be a great ground game that gets you in the runoff. And that ground game could have nothing to do with how much money you raise yourself through the fair election fund or how much money you are sort of ancillarily benefited by via these other vehicles. So it'll be really interesting to see and we'll be, you know, watching closely. This is super consequential, very determinative. And what I would say to anyone who's who's listening, who's a Denver voter, please vote. There are lots of great resources to, to better educate yourself about the candidates all over the place, lots of debates on TV. So... Yeah. And I mean, I think we'd also encourage folks to to do your best to learn about the candidates outside of the issues that are dominating the discourse in the news. And we understand why that's happening. But we also think there are lots of really important pieces of information about the candidates outside that you can go and find. Um, I think that we'll continue to monitor the debate and and the races over the next few weeks. We're really interested to see what happens I think we should probably have a follow-up conversation about this. For sure. I, I, certainly after we hit election day and we see how the race for mayor shapes up. But um, there's a lot of there's other interesting charter amendments on the ballot, and I think that you know Blair and I wanted this to be the first of many conversations about the city and politics and real estate and development and all the things that are interesting to us. But we should keep doing these and. Hopefully folks find them to be a valuable resource and at the very least interesting, you know, insights into what's going on in town. Yeah, sure. Stay tuned for some thoughts on some of the different legislation pending at the state level, which we've also been tracking, which I think a lot of our clients are are interested in. And um, I do want to thank our amazing colleague, Claire Helweg, for helping us with some of the research, particularly digging into the statistics for some of the prior municipal elections and Zach I just want to thank you for talking me into this <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll see if we do it again <laughs> we're definitely going to do it again thanks everybody thanks thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farbershreck podcast series if you like what you hear please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app visit bhfs.com for more information